Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and empowering you, our listeners, to knowing, being, and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. You can always do so by following us on our social media. Go to the Zira Network on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Zira Radio is the uh, show handle. At Lorenzo T. Neal is my handle. Uh, also, visit our website, uh, LorenzoTNeal.com, and uh, explore there. We invite you to share with us and all the things that we're doing. And we thank you so much for your support over these last 10 years. This is the 10th season of this show. And I'm just excited, and I hope that you are excited as well. So let's start with some breaking news. Today, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled favorably in two religious uh, cases, both sponsored by Catholic bodies, uh, Roman Catholic bodies. First, was the sisters, the Little Sisters organization that initially um, sued the government over the mandate for a contraceptive in their health care plan. And, uh, you know, you've been following the story, you know, that they sued because the government said, uh, mandated under the uh, Affordable Care Act that employees could have access to uh, reproductive services. And that included <laughs> the, the idea of abortions, uh, contraceptives, all of that stuff, right? And the government said that every organization, including religious bodies, religious organizations, were uh, subject to that. This uh, case was the Little Sisters of, what is this? Uh, Little Sisters uh That's all I got, the little sisters. <laughs> the little sisters of the poor. Uh, and they, they, they sued because they were you know, trying to be exempt as a religious organization. And uh, Trump, the uh, Trump administration sent it uh, to the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, no, the lower court it was a lower court that um, reversed it. And Trump administration appealed, and they appealed it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court uh, upheld it, saying that they had the right to do so. They could be exempt from it, and of course, it was a majority conservative, but there were some uh, more liberal um, justices who concurred with the with the um, with the ruling. And I think the majority opinion was written by Justice Clarence Thomas. But it, it basically said that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, um, that is, that's the act, that under that act, the departments must accept the sincerely held, complicitly based objections of religious entities. That is, they could not tell the plaintiffs that their beliefs are flawed because in the department's view, the connection between what the objection parties must do and the end to uh, and the end that they find to be morally wrong is too simply actuated. All right. So that says a lot 
uh, it, it says a lot about how the the court, the Supreme Court, is viewing uh, this 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 issue, and of course, the, uh, being that it's uh, not quite a majority uh, conservative, it, it was pretty. It was pretty pretty again, pretty progressive, pretty uh, centrist in both po both liberal and progressive. Uh, uh, conservative judges writing favorably toward this, so so that you know, I I, and I do like the fact that they're acknowledging that religious beliefs matter. <laughs> religious beliefs, in this case, it just happens to be from the Little Sisters of the Poor, that is a Catholic organization, Roman Catholic organization. So their beliefs matter. That entire uh, that reflects the entirety of all belief systems. If they object to um, being forced to include contraceptive, uh, reproductive, anything uh, including abortion in, in their health care uh, for their, those employees. And rightly so, as it should be. But then the court also uh, ruled on another issue for Catholic schools and this one, they said Catholic schools can dismiss teachers, basically for religious purposes. Um, they said that there were two particularly Catholic schools that filed this, uh, this, this case. And again, in another very majority court, <laughs> seven to two ruling, the court sided with uh, those two schools. And again, these are. Roman Catholic sponsored schools uh, saying that they can dismiss, they can fire teachers uh, for religious reasons, and this is how they they got to do so. Uh, the Catholic, the, the the court sided with the Catholic Church, saying that the religious uh, that the teachers are ministers, and if so, being ministers, they are not held. Uh, by the standards of the state anti-discrimination laws in California at the, in this particular case. Um, and also uh, that um, the, uh, the, the anti-discrimination laws do not employ, uh, apply to religious employment decisions. Now, I, I, you know, I, my first teaching job, my very first teaching job um, was at a Catholic school. And mind you, I, I was in ministry, and I had a great rapport with the principal, who, um, although he did not become a priest, attended seminary, and, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he thought he was going to become a priest. But anyway, he didn't become a priest. And we had some very lively discussions about my role as uh, being a Protestant minister, excuse me, a Protestant minister, but serving in the capacity of a music educator at a Catholic school. Uh, you know, I had to go to Mass, just like every other teacher. I had to uh, do my duties as a teacher, and I had to, I literally had to uphold a moral stand, a moral code, you know, and um, it, it wasn't hard for me to do because <laughs> You know, I had myself at that time. I held myself to a high moral code, and 
not only did I hold myself to a high moral code, you know, being in ministry and in college at the time, I just thought it was just right and fair that I, I had <laughs> this, this image of who I was as an individual. And so I stayed at that job for three years, teaching, developing the band, uh, and still have a great rapport with some of the students. I'm still connected to some of those students that I taught uh, back in, the, I, see, I started in 96 there at that school, and I still have a good relationship with some of those students from 96, 97, 98, and 99. That was <laughs> just tells you the wonderful, wonderful things I've been able to do. But um, getting back to this case, um, the only dissenting, one of the dissenting opinions of George, Judge uh, Sotomayor and, uh, of course, Judge Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, they both were the only two dissenting voices in this. They argued that, that uh, this decision strips thousands of school teachers of their legal protections. In other words, they're saying, they're seeing it from the perspective that these are teachers and not ministers. They, you know, they employ. They are employed, yes, under the Roman Catholic Church education system. And if you're not familiar, you don't have to be certified, uh, a certified teacher to teach in parochial schools. You, you know, you can have. All you really need is to have some type of background in what you're going to be teaching or some. Some hours, college hours, well, you know, should have a college degree. <laughs> uh, but mostly all you got to do is just have college hours, you know, enough college hours in uh, the field that you're going to be teaching. And like me, you know, I was still in college when I started teaching at the, the, the Catholic school, but I had enough hours in music education and, you know, was, was up to take at the time the uh, national uh, music test, you know, uh, NTE. <laughs> I was about to take that, and I was going to get my certification, but I did not have my certification. It wasn't required because the Catholic system has its own certification. So I was certified, you know, through the Catholic Church to be able to teach the class, and it also helped me because I ended up getting student <laughs> student teaching credit for teaching professionally. So I didn't have to do all the other stuff that most teachers had to do. You know, student they do their student teachers, teach, blah, 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 student teaching. Well, because I was already teaching in the field that I was going to get a degree in, uh, the, the chair and dean, well, the chair of the school education at where I went to college uh, said that was sufficient. The dean, on the other hand, argued that I was cheating. <laughs> And he probably did that because he wanted me to pledge his fraternity, and I didn't. <laughs> that, and that's the honest to God truth. But anyway, so uh, what what they're arguing is the what. And this, by the way, if you want to find this story, you can find it on um, uh, the Christian Post. This is where I pulled it from. That uh, um, judicial review. Looking at the way religious schools operate and fire uh, their teachers or their employees, uh, and seem to undermine the independence of religious institutions, in the same way that the First Amendment uh, does not tolerate someone yelling in a crowded theater fire. 
and, and, and pretty much that's that's how the dissenting views were. But um, here it says here the court's apparent deference to threat here threatens to make nearly anyone whom the schools might hire ministers unprotected from discrimination in the hiring process, and that's what uh, Judge Sotomayor. Now let let me. Let, let me say this, and I'm going to be very clear. I am a proponent of parochial and private schools. I'm a proponent of child, uh, charter schools. I'm a proponent of school choice. I wish more black churches had schools. And I'm just not talking about the daycare and the head starts or whatever. I'm talking about uh, post-secondary, I mean uh, post-elementary uh, schools that go from K through 12. I wish there were more black private schools and black parochial schools. Um, and for those teachers looking to get jobs, I, I know public schools are wonderful. I taught in the public schools. I taught in parochial schools. I have experience in both. The one thing that I, I, um, I can say, don't apply to a <laughs> parochial school if you don't observe the religious viewpoints of that school, don't apply. And I don't understand why uh, atheists apply to teach at a Catholic school and then try to persuade the students <laughs> to see their um, religious viewpoint. I don't understand that. When I was, you know, again, I was a Protestant minister teaching at a Catholic school, and I did not try to proselytize those students. And I also recognized that I had to observe their religious observances. And I learned quite a bit. As a matter of fact, uh, at the time, the, the pastor of the church, the rector, Father Andy, and I had... <laughs> We had some wonderful times. I learned so much from him uh, being a preacher. As a matter of fact, and one of the one of the most moving and spirit-filled funerals I ever attended was a funeral uh, of a friend at that church who had befriended me um, while I was teaching there. And when they passed away, of course, we had to go to the funeral because they had the funeral during <laughs> during uh, regular class times. And uh, everybody had to go. But that was hearing his, his homily, Father Andy's homily at that particular funeral. I tell you, I was moved. I, w I was moved. But anyway, so my, my advice, if you, if you are a teacher or you're interested in going into the education profession in any capacity, think hard and very <laughs> hard about going uh, seeking employment in a uh, religious school, in a parochial school, because, you know, not only, again, they're going to expect a strict moral standard of you, whether it's false or not, they're going to expect it, and they're also going to expect you to observe, in the very least, their religious observances. So you'll have to go to mass. You'll have to, you don't have to do the sacraments, but you know you have to go and sit and 
Sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's lively. You know, it depends. And again, I'm an advocate for, I wish more black churches, uh, and I think they did this, I want to say they did this in Little Rock, Arkansas. I know at one time there was a um, predominantly African-American parochial school in, um, in that area. And I want to say it was called Faith High School Academy or something like that. I can't recall. But I, I know it was a church-sponsored institution. And um, as far as I know, it was successful. And I know there are several others here. Here in Mississippi, we have the Piney Woods School. And uh, the Piney Woods School is a um, private boarding school for black children. You heard it right, a private boarding school. They go there. They live on the campus of that um, facility, that school. And uh, it's not far from the uh, city of Jackson. And the kids... They learn. They get that, that environment of independence. And, it, it, and I know a whole lot of graduates from that, from that institution, and they do well. And then there are, of course, uh, black church-sponsored universities, colleges and universities. I attended Dillard University briefly in New Orleans, and that's a Methodist school. Here we have Tougaloo College, again, private, religious, and uh, wonderful Historic college here in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, Russ College. I, I could call the name of a lot of premier historic uh, private colleges, uh, parochial colleges, and and it's valuable, you know. So, in essence, in essence, the the Supreme Court uh, saying, you know, if you don't believe what they believe and you are a, a faculty member there or a staff member there they have the right to fire you <laughs> for religious purposes is that discrimination i don't think so i i don't think so because again these are private these are parochial <laughs> and uh you know you you're just subject to it and it's wonderful if you ask me i know some of you maybe disagree so if you if you disagree i I'd love to hear from you, you know, hit me up, email pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com or just leave a comment there uh, on the, the Facebook page. Leave a comment there and I'll try to reply, reply to it as quickly as possible. But anyway, so those are two things. I think uh, the court has ruled that was beneficial. Now, you know, last month the court <laughs> ruled favorably. And, and discrimination against um, LGBTQ community. And they, they said it was a win for them and a loss for Trump. And I don't care. I don't think Trump even cared about it. But they just got to lump him into it. But that's neither here nor there. So we're, we're, what we're seeing is the Supreme Court finding a balance, actually. Pretty, pretty, pretty balanced um, so far with their rulings. Now, there have been many that... We have not, they have not made the the, um, the news or the headlines, and there'll be plenty more that will be heading to the court that they will be ruling on, and I'm looking forward to hearing some of those cases. But anyway, it's all of that stemmed from <laughs> uh, two schools in California that said that teachers would let go for poor performance. Uh, 
uh, teachers let go because of religious, uh, non-religious opposition uh, or religious opposition. Of oh yeah, here it is. The panel concluded that a teacher held a position that was too secular to warrant a ministerial exemption and thus her claim of age discrimination. <laughs> so she was fired. She claimed that she was fired because she was old, age discrimination, or young, too young, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but they're saying that she held views that were just too secular uh, for her to be considered as a minister. And it, <laughs> this is wild. But anyway, um, so two favorable decisions and uh, although the the Roman Catholic Church uh, are represented in these two decisions, they are favorably towards all religious organizations that uh, hire staff, have employees, so be it their teaching faculty, their uh, janitors, service persons, whoever, you know, clerical workers, all of these persons are now by way of the Supreme Court, uh, protected in, in so many ways. You know, well, I guess you can't say protected when they get fired, but these organizations are protected. So, you know, if you don't want to provide comprehensive uh, reproductive health to your employees, you don't have to if you're a church and uh, you have those employees or a religious organization. Anyway. Ah, I just gave commend commendations to that. One more thing here before I get into the uh, the real main topic of the day. Kanye West. Y'all know I love Kanye West. I don't love him for his music. I just love him for his character. I I believe this. He he is a he is the premier entertainer of all time. He is the premier entertainer of all time. And let me tell you why I say that. Because not only does he find a way to stay within the uh, the front of the mind of the people, he finds a way to create a stunt to keep him in that way. So uh, last year, uh, no, 2018, the stunt that he pulled was supporting Trump as he was about to drop an album. He came out supporting Trump. That was 2018. Then 2019. Uh, what was that? 2017. 2016, 17. I don't know. He came out supporting Trump. And, and then he's been very vocal about his support for Trump. He met with Trump in 2018. Uh, that's what I meant to say. Then in 2019, and, uh, he began his Sunday services that were exclusive and I've talked about this several times last year and it, it morphed from just an exclusive gospel uh, church experience into a traveling ensemble that began touring the country touring uh, Lakewood Church there in Houston under Joel Osteen New Birth Church now under uh, Pastor Jamal Bryant um, several other churches across this country and uh, they put on some wonderful performances before guess what he dropped his album 
Jesus is King, which did well, and I did listen to it. I thought it was pretty cool. I, I liked some of the music on there. So he dropped his album, Jesus is King. And this weekend, he tweeted that uh, the country is in need of new leadership and fresh leadership. And now he didn't tweet those exact words, but he tweeted that he will be running for president, not in 2024, but in 2020. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, he drops a single to go with that announcement. Kanye is Kanye is the um, Barnes. What is it? Uh, P.J. Barnum, B.J. Barnum, P.J. Barnum, uh, Barnum and Bailey. He's the Barnum. He's the ultimate showman. He's the ultimate promoter of himself. He promoted that he is now a billionaire. Well, he made the list of Forbes billionaire. Um, but did he make the list or did Forbes write the article? I, I've reported it and I can't recall. But anyway, any, anyway, he he's a billionaire. Or at least his company is worth a billion dollars. I, I don't know what he exactly what he makes because I don't care about that. I just like his fanatics. I just follow him for the fanatics. See what he's going to do next. But uh, high-end clothes, you know, shoes, shirts, I guess pants also. But anyway, he announced that he's running for president. And, of course, celebrities don't take him serious. No one really takes him serious anymore. Uh, even when he started his Sunday service, even though it was really moving, watching those kids sing and, and go back to the genre of gospel that I grew up with and most churches now have done away with to move towards the small ensemble praise teams and whatnot. But to see those kids excited about the the gospel music of Jesus. I'm not sure if they're saved, can't speak to that, uh, but to hear them sing about Jesus was always very moving for me because I grew up singing in choirs and I still sing in the choir, community choir occasionally and you know but people still saw that as a start especially when it began to travel they're like okay he's he's doing this for some reason and we saw later as I just said he did it because he was dropping an album plus he hadn't done anything really to, you know, he had, Kanye didn't form an exploratory committee. He wasn't in part of any debates and any uh, thing. We're not really sure if he's even affiliated with a party or anything like that. All we know is <laughs> he just said it, tweeted it, and that was enough. And, you know, for Kanye, that is more than enough to draw attention to himself, which is what he did. For the 4th of July, a wonderful distraction from all the other mess the news were trying to get out regarding President Trump and Mount Rushmore and COVID-19, all that stuff. Yeah. So props to you, Mr. West. Never the President West. 
But props to you for the wonderful distraction that you have provided to all of us as you have made your announcement to run for President of the United States. I'm going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about the comeback of COVID and how it's affecting the church once again. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and I like to speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. You may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at Legal Shield. Legal Shield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to Legal Shield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID Shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that come with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, they pretty much cover the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call. Visit their website, www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. So if you're not aware, I am a very very curious person. I'm always trying to learn new things. And um, so I recently learned about Skillshare and it's opened up so many doors for me on learning how to be a better creative person. I've learned, I've taken classes on uh, creative writing, on my podcasting, on my YouTube videos, all of that. It has come in handy. And I would strongly recommend you, if you are trying to improve on any skill that you have and you want to go from being a hobby to uh, make it a pro, <laughs> I, I, I want to invite you to go to Skillshare.com. 
uh, Skillshare.com is where you can go to learn all kinds of things. They have workshops on everything that you can imagine. Photography, videography, uh, writing, anything that you can think of, you can find it on Skillshare. So, and I'm telling you, you're going you're gonna to really love it. It's, it's worth it every single moment every single class and you'll you'll love it you'll great greatly enjoy it go check it out skillshare.com slash zero today radio All right, welcome back to Zero of the Day. Again, I'm your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. Thank you so much for tuning in to this broadcast. Ten years we've been going strong, all because of your support. And if you would like to continue to support, go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal and become a patron at, uh, for as little as a dollar a month. We're working on putting things together. We'll give you a shout-out on the show, on YouTube, uh, everywhere else we can. We'll recognize you for your support. Thank you so much. Anyway, let's get into the topic of the day, the COVID comeback. I forgot I had my phone on. Uh, the COVID comeback. Yes, COVID is making a comeback across the country as more states are reporting rising numbers of uh, positive individuals. Now, while there's a rise in numbers, there's a uh, decrease in deaths. And uh, there <laughs> if you've been watching the news, you'll see the obviously contradictions um, and bias the media is presenting in this whole thing. I don't know why we want more people to die. I, I don't know. And I do know more people will be infected. Yes. Why? Because, you know, it's summer. People want to be outside. People want to go on vacation. People want to travel. People want to be on the beach. People want to do what they've been doing at their own risk. And, yes, I do emphasize at their own risk because it is their risk. Now, um, I do pray for those persons who have been impacted by this virus, those who have been infected and those who have recovered. And um, uh, many people are asymptomatic. We just learned of the uh, the mayor of Atlanta, Mayor Bottoms, was infected. Here in the state, we have several legislators, including our um, Speaker of the House and uh, Lieutenant Governor, both testing positive and several other legislators. Uh, it's very serious. I take it very seriously. We have not reopened our church at New Bethel. We will not until we you know, get the okay. And that's because 
I'm part of the vulnerable population. Most of my members are part of the vulnerable population. So we do all we can to encourage people to follow the guidelines. And that's what everyone should be doing, following the guidelines. And I know July 4th, there are a lot of people celebrating and probably weren't wearing masks and probably got exposed. We know we saw that in Memorial Day. Same thing happened. Uh, people go up, went out protesting. A lot of them were not wearing masks, and they were shouting, and they were, you know, doing all this. I, uh, our governor, <laughs> governor made headlines because uh, he he tweeted that um, protesters are to be blamed, or one of the blames should be partially blamed for the uptick in new cases. And I, 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 I can consent to him, I can concur with him that, there, yeah, there, there, is some, there is some connection. There is some correlation to the protesters and the uptick. That there is correlation. That does not mean it's causation. Correlation does not always equal causation, as you know, but there is some correlation there. But there's also some correlation with churches reopening and going back and people contracting uh, the virus there. There's a story on the black, the old black church. Uh, Ms. Ann Brock, thank you for sharing the story. Bishop George Bloomer uh, went on record saying that one of the persons under his leadership in his organization held a service without their uh, permission, said that was not sanctioned by his organization. And going to the, the old black church, and you'll see the story. And um, now, and I'm, I'm gonna say why this his statement is irrelevant, for one, uh, and why you know he's distancing himself from this pastor, in a second. But um, the story goes that two young ladies, at least two young ladies, stated that they believe they contracted the virus at a worship service at an event called the Evidence Encounter. The Evidence Encounter that was hosted by Vontrell Johnson, pastor of a tiny church in rural North Carolina. And uh, Bishop George Bloomer is uh, admit, uh, apparently the overseer of either that pastor or the church, I don't know, it's not clear. But anyway, he said it was not a sanction by his organization. I don't know what his organization is. But uh, of course it's not going to be sanctioned by the organization. They're independent churches. So it's not like a connectional church. And they can say even within the connectional church, you know, you have your own events that are not sanctioned by the connectional church. We have Mother's Day. We have Friends and Family Day, Women's Day, Men's Day. Those are in our, <laughs> you know, in the Methodist <laughs> denomination. Those aren't sanctioned. The, the United Methodist Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, AME Zion Church, we don't, they don't say, okay, this is part of the official church calendar. No. <laughs> Local churches do that. And um, so he's distancing himself. He, they, Of course he's not going to sanction. He probably didn't even know the Jew had the event, so it's irrelevant. His, his, um, <laughs> his statement that's just to me is is irrelevant it has you know he has no direct oversight of the individual is what i'm saying you know he's a bishop but that that church is a part of his organization but he has no direct oversight he does not have explicit explicit <laughs> authority over the the churches he doesn't they're just part of this 
organization, so you know, his his statement is irrelevant. But it brings to the forefront a couple of things that we should really be thinking about as churches. Um, there have been since since uh, really since before Trump made the uh, announcement for churches to you know states to allow churches to go back uh, into in-person worship as states begin to lax or relax their uh, shelter in place orders and begin to reopen economically churches were part of that and we saw immediately almost immediately um, an uptick in in uh, infected individuals there's another story here on the old black church uh, about a young teen who uh, contacted the virus at a uh, church event and she succumbed to the virus now statistically what the information we've been given is that uh, young adults children and well teenagers and young adults uh, even if they contracted they the the recovery is higher for them than those of children and senior adults and we know particularly here in the state of Mississippi most of the deaths are of course unfortunately uh, among black individuals but also elderly individuals mostly from senior care facilities uh, and that is across the board for most of the cases uh, and if I'm incorrect please correct me I don't I, I, I welcome that but this young girl in uh, in Florida went to a, a church event I think it was a sleepover or something like that uh, hold on A COVID party is what they what it was. The child's mother put her at the risk by exposing her to the virus and delaying proper medical treatment. So, um, this child, this child died. In the the main story is found on the rawstory.com. Um, so I I got this from a secondary source, but the main source is the raw story. But according to the story. The mother took her high-risk teenage daughter to a youth group event at the church um, where she contracted uh, the coronavirus. And it's alleged that um, after she contracted the, um, the coronavirus that the mother did very little to treat her, you know, to get her real treatment. Instead, she tried to self-treat, uh, which of course, inevitably led to her death. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I believe I had contracted the, the virus like many other persons before it was known to be what it was. And I did what I usually do when I have an upper respiratory infection. You know, I stayed home. I rested. I drank plenty of fluids. I took, uh, I already had some prescribed medicine. I took the prescribed medicine that I did, and I recovered. And it was very, I had the very same symptoms that uh, they said reflect the COVID virus, even though I was never uh, tested. And I'm saying that now. I just believe I had either very something very similar <laughs> or I had it itself. 
and I'm part of the group that's, you know, usually recovers from it. But this team was directly exposed, according to the report. Now, I don't know how true the report is, but uh, uh, that after she have two days after her 17th birthday, she contracted the birth, she contracted the virus, and uh, her mother did very little. Uh, but there's evidence, according to the medical report, that her mother intentionally exposed her daughter to the virus. But there's no evidence to support that. Why? Because they said there were 100 mass-free children at the event. So, um, what's the significance of this? Again, we, you know, as a pastor, I'm speaking from the perspective of a pastor. It is my responsibility to ensure the welfare and health of and safety of my members. So, I'm not going to intentionally bring them back into a space if I'm aware of persons haven't been exposed or haven't had it. I wouldn't do that. But there are a lot of churches, and again, we operate in the realm of faith, so we believe that even if persons are exposed by way of prayer and, you know, healing, that they can be healed and recover. And there's just truth to that. And I'm hearing plenty of cases where that is, where that has happened. But I also am mindful that this is very real and we have yet to have a vaccine, and even if a vaccine is, de is developed, we're talking about a, a means of natural occurrences, just like the flu and all the other viruses, bacteria, whatever that makes us sick. I believe God is a healer. I believe God can heal, but I also believe God is sovereign, and I would not try to test the sovereignty of God. <laughs> you know, I know God says, try me, and see if I won't do this for you I I won't put him to the test not not like in this capacity I will put him to the test when it comes to something uh, regarding my personal uh, relationship with him and needing direction and um, things like that but when it comes to the health I believe he gave us all common sense for one but I would not put God to the test and challenge my health <laughs> and then expecting them to heal, heal me. I, I think that's foolish. But as churches reopen, and I, I hope and pray the pastors are, are, are not intentionally putting people into places where they can be exposed to this or to environments where they can be exposed. I hope they're taking all precautions. We've done a full deep cleaning and sanitation of the church. Uh, sanitization of the church. I don't even know if I said it right. But I am still uh, not reluctant. I'm still just holding on. Uh, good thing I'm waiting to hear from our bishop and, and our church leadership, connection leadership, to give us the go-ahead. But as cases rise, it's, again, it's putting the church in a wonderful dilemma. And I use the word wonderful because I believe that this is an opportunity for the church to really shine bright 
to the glory of God and draw people to God. And I say that within the context of knowing uh, that not only is God the author and finisher of our faith, but God is also the one who predestined all things. We believe that. He predestined all things. And there's some who go so too far to the to the degree where God not only predicts or predestines our birth and our death, but all the things that happen in our lives, our sick sicknesses, our marriages, and all of that. Some would say that he preordains all of that. Uh, I'm not going there. But as we see this comeback happen, and it is happening, we're seeing, as I stated before, we're seeing more cases and less deaths, which is good on a, for the most part. That means that more people are recovering. Those who are being contracted with it, infected with it, are recovering. That is a great thing. I don't know why the media doesn't report the number of people recording, recovering versus the number of people dying. Um, and while it has reached, amassed about 3 million uh, worldwide, if not more worldwide, I can't, I know it's, um, the death toll has risen to well over, a near 150,000 in the states with at least 3 million contracted, I believe that could be, that's the latest numbers, but uh, I don't know. But worldwide, there are more people recovering from the virus than dying from it. And we are seeing shifts in hot, in the epicenters across the world. Brazil is now um, going through this, and it's the epicenter, whereas here in the States, you know, New York was the epicenter, and now it's shifting back down to the southern states, and they're trying to say, <laughs> they're using uh, different narratives of, as to why that is happening. You know, some are saying we open too quick and all of that. Well, it, it, that's a, not relevant as much as the fact that people are recovering, and we still need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate the fact that recovery uh, numbers are greater than the death numbers. And as pastors reflect on this, the obligation is to their members. It's okay if you have to close your church back down. It's it's okay. It is not hurting God at all. As a matter of fact, it may be helping the people to develop a deeper, more um, more uh, relevant relationship with God the Father. That that is very much possible. It can also be that that um, it can also be that those persons who would rather continue to have in-person worship in spite of seeing an increase in uh, cases once again an uptick in cases could be self-serving. And and I know that's a very, very broad statement. And I know a lot of people are sincere in ministry and it, they, they just want people to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. And that's wonderful. And I, I feel the same way. But the opportunity is greater now, in my opinion. It's greater now than it ever has been as we now have the means 
to have a greater audience. I have people watching, viewing our service, uh, virtual services, than I would ever have in the physical church. Sometimes four or five times as many are viewing than would be in, excuse me, in the physical building. And that's wonderful. It is wonderful. And, uh, you know, the feedback from the members is also very much encouraging to know that they are still engaged in spite of, you know, not being able to be in person. That says a lot to their dedication to the, to the work of the ministry. So it's okay. I, I believe God is allowing us to slow our pace. And I, I know from personal experience, it, it's, it's a challenging, challenging thing. I'm used to running all around this country, going to meetings and conventions and conferences and preaching. And having to slow down has been the biggest challenge. Having to spend more time in prayer because the challenge is now not putting on a show, per se, but really spending time in the Word, with the Word, to allow the Word to come forth in a way that is more meaningful and engaging. And that has been beneficial for me in, in my ministry. So, as you know, we, we were informed that there would be an uptick probably around the fall, but we're seeing that there's an uptick, not just, maybe not just going to happen in the fall, but also happening right now. Um, oh, here, let me, uh, okay, oh, I just, I just saw this story here real quick. And, uh, so, what I just talked about in the old black church article about the young girl, uh, at the at the party in Florida, the the church, and I, I just pulled this up, uh, the church that in Fort Myers that the was reported that the young girl attended an event uh, says that that did not happen. Uh, over the last 24 hours, First Assembly of God Fort Myers has been accused of hosting COVID-19 parties. Nothing could be farther from the truth. For the First Assembly of God at Fort Myers is following. All of the health protection protocols recommended by the state and local government with regard to holding its church services. Let us be clear. Media reports and postings of accusing the church of ignoring protocols or actively engaging in behavior intended to expose our congregation to the virus are absolutely false and defamatory. Uh, and that is what the church reported. My God. <sighs> See, this is the kind of environment we're in right now. It's sad that uh, people take this story. And it is very sad, and, uh, as I said, the Raw reported this as the mother intentionally exposing her story. RawStory.com is, is reporting it as the mother intentionally exposed her daughter to this and they are devout Christians and the daughter dies 
Shameful, shameful, shameful. Well, <sighs> I don't know what to make of this this day and age. I, I really don't. You know, <sighs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Well, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm, I guess I'm going to go ahead and cl close out this. <laughs> Plus, the little dude is trying to get my attention. So I'm going to go ahead and, and end this show. And I want to invite you guys.